Um, I know what you're thinking. Actually, I, I don't. I pretend to know what you're thinking. Didn't we just read that same section of Scripture last week and preach over it? Yes. Yes, we did. But most of y'all are not even going to notice that I just memorized last week's sermon. So y'all, y'all won't pay attention. It's just the exact same. No, we are, we are going to preach from a different angle today. Uh, but also, before we start, it is Mother's Day. I promise we did not plan to preach on the women of God because it was Mother's Day. God is sovereign. God does these things. This is, I don't even know how many times a holiday has come around and we've not even had to discuss, well, do we take a day and devote it to that particular holiday? It just kind of, we're just always there. It's weird. Uh, so God is sovereign, but happy Mother's Day to all of you. I want to echo some of the thoughts and just make sure that I am also on record as saying that there are so many women, I cannot name them by name or specifics, uh, that I am grateful for in this room. You have completely um, changed the life of our church. Uh, you have changed me as a, as a person, as a pastor. You have helped me, and you have, have um, done much work for the kingdom of God that much of which may or may not even go or be noticed, and you don't even care. Like, you just do it because that's who you are, and thank you for that. So the kingdom of God is different. It is noticed, it is appreciated, it is needed, it is necessary. So thank you very much for that. Uh, I just want to say that I appreciate you all. But like I said, we're preaching the same text from last week. We're going to look at it a slightly different angle. Now remember, quickly, Paul is writing to Timothy to basically say, this is what the church should look like because you're a family. This is what the family should be oriented around. This is what the family should look like. If you are going to be the family of God, show it. And this is how you show it. So he's walking through quite a few topics, and this is one of those topics. He is saying you should act like this so the excellencies of Christ may go forth from the way you interact with each other, the way you do life together, the way that you live. So Paul extensively here then discusses how it should look in regards to widows. And isn't the Bible sexist is what I hear a lot of times, uh, mostly on Facebook, which I deactivated this week and I've never felt freer. So that's just a side note. That is an encouragement to you guys. Pastor Todd, you're right all along. Uh, so isn't the Bible sexist? Do they even care about women? Don't they say some really misogynistic things? This is a charge that has been leveled against the Bible, against Christianity for years. It is popping up more and more as we kind of move into this culture where everybody can say anything on the internet. Now, here's the deal. I am not in any way going to spend the whole time talking about how the Bible is not sexist. But bear with me for just one moment because this will help move us into what the Bible or the text is teaching us today, okay? I can give you biblical example after biblical example, but Deborah, this is the Old Testament. This is in Judges chapter 4. Most of you are like, Judges 4. That's, where is that in the Old Testament? Judges chapter 4. Deborah is a judge of Israel. Basically, what she says goes. She's not the king of Israel. They don't even have those yet. Like, but if someone comes over the dispute and says, hey, this happened and this happened, and she says, you're right and you're wrong, guess who's right and guess who's wrong? She had authority. She had power. But besides that, in Judges chapter 4, it looks like she was just a bad mamma jamma. I don't know. She, there, was a, there was a time where they came to her and they are like, hey, it looks like we're going to have to go fight. And she's like, well, you ain't about to go do that without me. So let's roll. I'm going to go do that. 
And the, the general of the army said, you know what? Good, because I wasn't going to go if you didn't go with me, actually. Like, that's, that's actually how this was going to roll. You were going whether you liked it or not. So she goes. They win. There's a whole different thing. But I don't have to tell you how unlikely it would be for a woman during that time to have that much authority in decision-making, in leadership, and this is how things are going to roll. And yet, God remained faithful there. She remained faithful to God, even in a time where the people were not being so faithful. We have stories like that of Naomi and Ruth, both widows at different points in the story. But Naomi, who is widowed, she attempts to send her daughter-in-laws, once their husbands have died, back to their families, saying, I'm not your biological family. You were tied to me because you were married to my sons. Now that they're dead, I can't have other sons quick enough for you to marry them as well. So why don't you go back to your biological families? And Ruth says, no, 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 you have taken such care of me. I am so loyal to you. I'm going to remain with you. Long story, very short. I, I apologize. I told you we're not going to spend all our time on this. But we see Naomi celebrated because she cared for Ruth. And then Ruth does end up getting remarried to a man named Boaz. The lineage of that leads to David. The lineage of that leads to Jesus. So it is clear that women played a major role in getting us to Jesus, basically. We see Miriam, the sister of Moses. Most of y'all, most people, I shouldn't say y'all because we have some biblically literate people here, but most of us don't pay attention to Miriam in Scripture. And all I need to say about how prominent she was in the Old Testament and the life of Israel as a nation, I'm just going to read a verse to you from Micah chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. The Lord is reminding the people who have turned their back on him again and again and again. He is reminding them, wasn't I good to you in this way? And he says this, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He lumps them together. We all know Big Mo, right? We, got, we know Moses, right? We got Aaron, his brother. He talks for him. We know all those people. But we're like, oh, Miriam here is put on equal footing as leaders of that of Aaron and Moses. Different role, but equal in value. In the New Testament, we see so many women, most of them named Mary, it seems like. You just keep running across that. But we see so many women in the life of Jesus's ministry, following him, serving him, doing things that other people weren't doing that wouldn't have got done, sounds familiar, if they didn't do it. And then, moving to where we are, we see Paul commend numerous times. We see Paul commending women in the life of his ministry and in the ministry of others that he knows about, including the very person he's writing this letter to, Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, celebrating their faith, saying basically, I, I guess I'm reading into the text a little bit, but Timothy, you wouldn't even be a Christian if it wasn't for them and their leading and the way they raised you and the way they helped you see Christ. So we see Paul do that. The Bible being sexless is a baseless claim. I can refute it. I've got, there's more examples if you want me to go into them. You don't. But another example of that, though, is today. The fact that Paul even talks about widows at all and says anything about them is a, a mark in our direction that the Bible is not sexist. This is a text that sometimes can say, well, look, they're, they're putting all these stipulations on on things and they're they're saying all of these things the fact that they're saying anything at all instead of just saying your widows take care of yourself figure it out the fact that we have 
13 through 16. That, I don't know how many verses that is. They, they told me there would be no math. I'm going to stick to that. But however many verses devoted to what do we do with widows? How do we treat them? How do we care for them? And remember, this is a time in history where women, married or not, were basically property. They were viewed as useless to the culture because they didn't offer the same thing men offered. And Paul counterculturally devotes this entire section of Scripture to how do we devote our time, our attention, our care, our love to them. See, women here and throughout the writings of Paul are valued, they are nurtured, they are cared for, they are encouraged, they are acknowledged, they are respected, they are loved, they are necessary, they are dignified, they are elevated, and they are celebrated. And again, most of the time, they would be basically a line item on an insurance form. I own a house, a chariot, car, and a woman. These are the things that I own. They were simply assets or good for bearing children. And that was it. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There is so much more here. You see, this was also not true for the followers of Christ. Tertullian is an early church writer, wrote this lots of years ago. It's in the 100s. It says, As believers who lived under the lordship of Christ, women were spiritually wealthier, more pure, and thus more glorious than the most extravagant women in pagan society. Clothed with the silk of uprightness, the fine linen of holiness, the purple of modesty, they elevated feminine virtue to an unprecedented height. During this time, even the pagans recognized this. A pagan philosopher named Labanius, I think, once said, Heavens, what women you Christians have. And in case you were wondering, is that still true today? Just take a look around at the women sitting in the pews and then take a look at the men sitting beside them. Oh, heavens, what women we Christians seem to find and talk into saying I do and then go, gotcha, you can't go anywhere now because that's what I did. Thank you, Stephanie, I love you. But we see this trend in Paul's writing to make much of women in order not just because it was the right thing to do, not because society told him to, because we've already established that it wouldn't have told him to do that anyway, but to show the surpassing glory of God, the care that God gives every human being. After all, if you go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis is what? Every single human being, man, woman, child, is made in the image of God. Therefore, they have value, they have dignity, and they are equally value in the eyes, valuable in the eyes of God. They are just as much image bearers as the men sitting beside them. They are just as much image bearers as the men who are pastoring them or who are married to them or any of those things. They are just as much image bearers as anyone else. So as we discussed a few weeks ago, they are completely equal in value, even if the Bible lays out different roles for them. So if all of the Bible, and specifically Paul, who we are looking at today, views and treats women this way, then we as a church globally, but also locally, because that's all I can control at this point, that is what we want to do. We want to mirror that. We want to do the same thing. We want to strive to value them, to nurture them, to care for them. All of these things, encourage them. And one way we see that is that we don't cut them any slack. 
And I know you're like, whoa, hey, that's not what I thought that sentence was going to end with. But Paul doesn't cut them any slack. If you have your Bible open, you probably won't even have to turn a page to look at chapter 3 where it lists the qualifications for overseers or qualifications for elders. We preached that a few weeks ago. So if you remember, we stated there that the desire for Mission Church is for all men that come here, that matriculate here, that call this their home, all of that. We desire for all of them to fit those qualifications. Not necessarily they will be called. Not necessarily they even have the desire to be an elder. But if they were to desire to be an elder, we wouldn't have to address anything on the list because they were already living it out. And then we could just kind of move them over into the elder category because they were already doing that. The same is true here for females. There are some specific stipulations for what I believe, and I'll talk about in just a moment, to be two different groups of widows. And while it is not our wish for anyone in here to be a widow, that is not at all what I am saying, but if that time were to come, we wouldn't have to go, now are you doing these things? Because you're already living them out. Because they're just a standard for Christian living. They're just descriptors of what a Christian woman looks like. Now, we'll talk about a few of the specifics, like the age thing, in just a moment. But last week, we looked at what it meant to be truly a widow and what that entailed. We covered who was in and who was out and what that looked like, what the family should do, the biological family, then the church family, and all of those things. But if you look at verse 5, what you see there is that she doesn't just have to be a widow. There are other things added on to that. There are further requirements to receive help from the church, to receive church funds, church assistance, all of these things. It says that she, she must be left alone but has set her hope on God, continues in prayer and supplications day and night. There are four things there listed. That once you have established, okay, this woman is truly a widow, which, again, that was last week. She is setting her hope on God. This means she is doing what the Apostle Paul writes of himself in Philippians 3 and counting all of these things up to and including having a husband as rubbish, as nothing. I don't have to have these things. I have to have Jesus. I have to have God. I don't have to have all of these things. She is not hoping in the things of this world. She is not hoping in her possessions to fulfill her. She is not desiring the church to assist her so she can live with luxuries of the world. It is simply the needs that she has that have now been vacated by her husband not being there to help her with that it even contrasts that she is not after greedy gain in verse 6 where it says that it says that self-indulgent women or ones that are characterized by only wanting what they want when they want it I'm going to do it that way regardless of what you say it's all about me 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 self-centered women they are characterized and it says that they are dead even while they live so don't be like that don't come to the church because you need a pair of Gucci's right? Don't come to the church because your Louis Vuitton purse strap broke. Come because you need food. Come because you need care. Come because something your husband was able to do when he was living or with you that we can now fill that void. That is what it is saying. The widow who has placed her hope in God is exactly what it sounds like. Her true and abiding hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so that whether she has or has not in this world, she is satisfied in Christ. All other things are extra. All other things are bonus. Does she have needs? Absolutely. If those needs aren't met, she gets to go see Jesus. Two, having set her hope on God, she appeals to him for help through supplications. Supplications are 
asking God for things, right? She prays to him because he is the only one that can truly answer her prayers. She appeals to God who provides to provide her needs. God is the one she appeals to. Now she recognizes that it is God and God alone who can provide, even if he does so by the church, by the family of God coming around her. That is, God still does it. It's just he uses the hands and feet, feet, <laughs> feet of those who uh, are in family with her. But she recognizes that all glory and all praise goes to God who is providing for her. So she asks him to provide and then accepts the help from those he sends to provide it. She casts all her anxieties on him. She asks him to heal her broken heart. She asks him to do all of these things. Three, she worships God alone. She offers supplications or petitions. That's what we just discussed. But it says supplications and prayers. If we're lumping those together, then we're doing it wrong because the scripture does not. Supplications, asking God for assistance, asking him to provide your needs. Prayers are praises. This means she praised him in thanksgiving for all the ways that he has been good to her. She loves Jesus in the rain and the sunshine, knowing that God promises to send the rain on the just and the unjust. Being in Christ does not mean you're outside of suffering. Being in Christ does not mean you're outside of trial. So I'm going to worship him in both of these categories, and that makes me a woman of God. Pain, trial, suffering, all of these things may come about, but who do I praise? Who do I worship? Who do I put my trust in? It is Jesus and his goodness. She prays to him and she knows, she knows that he knows her even more intimately than the husband that has left or died or however he is vacated. Four, lastly, this woman who hopes in God, petitions him for her needs, praises him for his character, she perseveres. It says that she does this day and night, meaning continually, all the time. She is never ceasing. She is never swayed. She is unwavering. She is never losing hope that God is in control of these things. Therefore, she can go back to number one and continue to place her hope in him. Continue to place her hope in him. And she will worship him because her faith is unfading. Many of you know this example that I'm getting ready to bring up, but the story of Elizabeth Elliot. I wish Miss Cynthia was in here because she loves Elizabeth Elliot. Like she's read her book like 12 times and it's like that thick but she she loves Elizabeth Elliot and all of us should okay so many of you know the story I'll do it quickly but Elizabeth Elliot's husband Jim and some other missionaries that kind of get ignored a lot of the times and shouldn't be but Jim Elliot goes with this group of men to contact an unreached people group in Ecuador basically as soon as they get there I, I don't know the exact momentary timeline but basically as soon as they get there they spear him to death along with all the other three people there with him. Four dudes speared to death by these unreached people. Okay, that was in 1956. If that was the end of the story, you'd all be wondering why I told it. 1958, two years later, Elizabeth Elliot goes to live with these people. She goes to live with the very people that murdered her husband because she saw the surpassing glory of God she saw the power of the gospel working in them. She went to live with them, and a great number of them were converted. No one on the planet would have blamed her if she had just moved back home and lived out the rest of her days doing anything else, anything else. No one would have blamed her. Your husband was brutally murdered by these people. Move as far away as you can and just live life. And no one would have blamed her for that. But instead, her hope was in God. She knew that he was sovereignly in control of even life and death. She knew that she was 
the one she, the one she could pray to in order to complete the task that her husband started, and she was going to follow him to the ends of the earth to do whatever he asked because they needed someone to go proclaim the gospel to them because the gospel is the power of salvation, and she believed this. What you may not know about Elizabeth Elliot, everyone kind of knows that story, is after living there for about 15 years or so, she married another dude. Four years later, cancer, and he died. That this did not deter her from faithfully living out the gospel. She actually got married a third time, learned something new this week. Just throwing that out there. Side note. This did not deter her from faithfully living out the gospel all the way into her death in 2015, though. And one of her most famous quotes, or, or she was at a speaking engagement, and they asked her something to the effect of, how did you persevere through all of this? Your first husband was murdered. You went and lived with those people. You came back. You married this Christian theologian. He died of cancer a few years later, and she said, I may not always know exactly what someone is going through, but I do know the one who knows, and suffering is never for nothing. That is a woman that has set her, her life on living out these commands. That is a woman who had her hope fully set on God and not her circumstances, because her circumstances told her to give up. Stop trying. Stop living out faithfully. Stop speaking out for Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling you to. If you are a woman here today, or a man, but we're staying on topic, this is what the Holy Spirit is calling you here today. See, I know most of you, if not all of you, except for one, are not widowed. You're, you're, you're just women in this category, and I don't mean just women. <laughs> but you're not widowed. And yet we can see the commands here would serve you well to do that. If you are single, yet to be married, if you are still married to your husband, any of those things, if you were to follow these commands, if you were to follow one through four, set your hope on God, pray to him for things, praise him for everything, and do that unceasingly, how your life would be served, how your family would be served. Be unwavering in that. Then, if you do find yourself being in the predicament of being a widow, everything just keeps going in a spiritual sense. I'm not saying you just move on, any of those things. But from a spiritual aspect, you just keep setting your hope in Jesus. You just keep praying to Him and asking Him to supply your needs. You keep praising Him for the needs that He is supplying, and then you do that, and you do that, and you do that, and you do that unceasingly. You see, this list was not made up, and here's where the sexist thing comes in. This list was not made up in Hopefully the church can find a loophole. Well, I, you're not doing this one, so we're not helping you. Because look, they're not, they're not heaping heavy additional extra biblical things upon them. They're not saying, well, you got to do this and wear kids and a skirt and all of those things. Like none of those things are listed here. It's just we want to help you because you are living faithfully for Christ. It is simply a calling uh, for women to, uh, to have faithfulness just as the qualifications for overseers were basically just a list of Christian criteria. This text, along with so many others, are not burdens. They are freedoms purchased at the cross, calling us to live a life of faith. And this is what Mission Church wants to call every woman in this room here today. Every woman that has ever set foot in our church or ever will set foot. We want you to live out your calling in Christ to the best of your ability. Now we switch to a separate category. Now, when I first read this, I did not think, oh, we got a new category of widows here. Thank you, commentaries. 
But if you look at verses 9 and 10, you see a separate list. I say separate list because, again, most of the commentaries agree that the previous verses, so verses 3 through 8, seem to be governed by the imperative to honor these widows. And then we, we just discussed that. Verses 9 through 16 seem to be governed by the imperative, enroll such widows. Now, you may be thinking, well, that sounds super similar. But most would agree that Paul would not, put of age, would not have put an age restriction on widows that can be assisted Oh, you're 59? I'm sorry, we can't help you. Come back in a year, though. That The age restriction would not have been placed on widows in need. This seems to be, and this, is, this can be debated, and that's fine, but this seems to be talking about a separate group of widows that would oversee a ministry in the church to the widows we just described. So these older widows who fit the criteria we're about to discuss would minister to, under the under-shepherding of the pastor, that's why this book was written to Timothy, would minister to these younger widows who are coming for assistance, coming for help, coming for care. This list is different, but it still falls into the category of basic Christianity. It says that a widow in this ministry role would need to be a certain age and have raised children. This is not extra-biblical legalism. This is, are you qualified to do what we're asking you to do? If you are not of a certain age then maybe you need to grow in your faith in order to... That doesn't mean you... Well, I'm only 55. I can't really care. It is not that. It is a current... In the current context, this is what needs to happen so that you can care for the younger widows. And he talks about how that's different. Younger widows do these things. Older widows don't seem to do that. So 60 years old, raised children. This is another reason I believe this is not a list for needy widows. Because what if someone is barren and their husband dies at any age? Are we going to go, we can't really help you. You didn't have kids. So, sorry. This, this doesn't seem logical to think that these are the, the category of the needy widows coming for help when these extra things are placed in there. But we may ask that widow to serve in a different role because, hey, you, you may get married later because you're younger. Or, hey, you haven't raised children and Maybe you can't speak into that as well. All of these things. It is simply a qualification for the widows in this ministry role. And then it gives us the list of characteristics, all of which fall under the umbrella of good works. We see that, the, that she should have a reputation for good works, like showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, that's probably both literal and figurative, cared for and uh, the afflicted and the sick. Again, how are these anything that we are not all called to do in this room? So to be qualified for this ministry role, you have to be a Christian. That's in essence what it is saying. Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is a, simply a trait that we should all have as Christians, men or women. Also, we should all wish to humbly serve, which is what is meant by washing the feet of the saints. Be humble. Put others' needs ahead of your own. May no job be too little or too degrading for you to engage in it if that is what is needed for the life of the church. This is a command for all Christians. Third, care for the sick. Jesus specifically said, for the, what you do to the least of these is what you do to me. So if someone is sick, shouldn't we all care for them? 
Shouldn't we all reach out to them? Shouldn't we all make meals or, or care for them in whatever way they need care? Because it's different for every situation. But shouldn't we all do that? So this is not extra qualifications that aren't found elsewhere in the Bible. This is t- Paul telling Timothy, find faithful women to fulfill ministry roles to women. Doesn't mean men can't do this, but we've discussed how that gets hairy, right? We got we to gotta make sure we're doing that correctly. Because see, I can firmly say I am not, nor I will I ever be a woman. And y'all kind of giggle, and that's fine, but five years ago, I really wouldn't have to say that. But apparently now, I can be a woman at some point if I want to be. But you know what I know about being a woman or a widow? Nothing. I have no clue. And it shows every day at my house that I have no clue what a woman is thinking or what she may be feeling or any of those things. But you know who does? Other women. Other widows. Women who have gone through a similar situation. Not exact, but a similar situation that have had experience, that have, that have leaned on and set their hope on God in the tough times and they can help and coach and disciple someone do, to do the same in their tough times. This is why in Titus chapter 3, what does it tell us specifically? Older women teach the younger women. Older in the faith teach the younger in the faith. This is not always a biological age. This is my encouragement here because, again, I know we technically don't have any older or younger widows, but what we do have are some women who have been in the faith for years. And on the flip side of that same coin, we have some women here that haven't been in the faith for years that need help. What does the Word say? What do I do in this situation? I'm about to make this decision. How did you make that when you were my age? See, what I hope we can all glean from this passage is that God can use you. Whoever you are in this room, God can use you if you are faithful. For those of you who are women at any age, ministry, pastorship, men only. We discussed that a few weeks ago if you have questions. Ministry is not for men only. Coffee is ministry if you are doing it faithfully to God's Word, if you are getting together with someone, teaching them the Word, teaching them how to be more like Jesus, that, that is ministering to them. Short word for that? Ministry. It is not just for men. We need women to fulfill their roles as faithful women, and this does not mean we just need you to do the culturally typical things like cook really good food. Please keep doing that, MC. Y'all are awesome. But please keep doing that. But that is not what we're referring to, or clean up, or all of these things that women are going to do that anyway because they're just cleaner than us. We get that, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Mission Church is a place where you are valued. We don't want you. We need you. We need you to do things that we have no idea how to do. We need you to take this text seriously. Care for one another, widow or not. Care for one another. Lean on each other disciple each other because here's the thing if the lord tarries long someone in this room is going to be a widow one day someone it's going to happen because people die what are we going to do if we don't have these things in place same thing it's just like marriage counseling you don't wait till you get married to put all these things into place you start building a life on christ 
then when you get married, you continue to carry that on. Same thing here. Jen Wilkins says women's ministry is more than casseroles in Proverbs 31. That's what we want you guys to live by. Keep making those casseroles. We want you to be a place where women are not allowed to carry out their callings, but they are insisted upon carrying out their callings. If you have a calling right now, this does not mean you just... (laughs) Never mind. I'm not even going to say that. But if you have a calling right now, carry it out. If you are a faithful woman of God, carry that out and pour that into another faithful woman of God. This is not... You are not limited in anything that you can do other than the one category we talked about. Secondly, and this is for a select few more advanced ladies, I won't say older, more advanced ladies in the congregation. See, the fact of the matter is that culture idolizes youth, beauty, energy, all of these things, right? Tells you that you have a finite time to be useful or a finite time to be impactful and that window closes when you're no longer young or energetic or any of these things which I'm already past that if it's energy based I ain't got any this text would tell you that culture is completely and utterly wrong as a matter of fact this text will tell you that you fulfill a role that younger women literally can't fulfill hence the age requirement you You fulfill a role of ministry that only you can fulfill. So, not only are you useful, it's necessary that you remain faithful into your old age. And this does not mean that you live out your days faithfully knitting pillows and that you are here, seen, but not heard. Because so many churches I see that. No, you are not past your prime if you are faithful. If you are all of these things, you were never past your prime. This passage calls you to stay faithful and stay engaged in the fight of the faith. Verse 15 says that some younger widows have already strayed after Satan. You know who Paul is imploring to stand in their way before they stray after Satan? Because it's not me. It is the women of the church to say, that is not the way you want to go. And I can speak to that from experience. I can speak to that because I went that way once and it didn't work out so well. It is you older women in the faith are standing in the gap. Teach them, rebuke them, love them, gospel them to death, disciple them, proclaim to them the glory of God so they will not stray after these trifles that the earth and the world offers them. You are still needed. You are useful in the building of God's kingdom no matter your age. And no matter if you get to see the far-reaching fruits of your ministry. Susanna Wesley is a name that many people would not know. Lots of people would. Some of you can use context clues based on her last name. She had 19 children. 19 children. Four of them were twins, so whatever. 19 children. Nine of them died as infants. Her hus- one of them was smothered accidentally, and I was like, I want to look more into this. I did not have the time, but it was a weird, like, caveat. I was like, yeah, and one of them, anyway. Her husband was in and out of her life and in and out of her home, even though he was in ministry. Sometimes he left by choice over minor disputes. One time they fought over this minor thing. He left for a year. Um, 
some guys sleep on the couch, but whatever. Some, sometimes due to his work in ministry, he would travel long distances, and this is not times when planes, you know, can get you things faster. And then times he was in jail. Now, this is all apparently about his money. I don't know about his morals. But she, suffice it to say, she was alone a lot of the times. And in one letter that she wrote to her husband, who was away at the time for who knows what, she wrote, I'm a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence I cannot but look upon every soul you have left under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done, and I resolved to begin with my own children. That's a woman that sets her faith on God. Says, you know what? You're supposed to be doing this, but you ain't. I'm going to do it. So here she was raising all of these children, 10 of them, basically alone. She laid out strict schedules for them, never straying, homeschooling them, teaching them to memorize scripture, the Lord's prayer every single day. She lived out her days carrying out this calling, fervently following after the Lord, obedient in the face of a difficult man in a difficult marriage. And she is quoted as saying, being a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. Being a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. The reason I bring her up it's because she lived a rather unremarkable life. Most of you are like, who is this person, Susanna Wesley? Maybe you'll recognize two of her son's names, John and Charles Wesley, founded Methodism. They founded the Methodist Church. Now, we may not line up totally theologically with everything the Methodist Church teaches, but it is undeniable, and I will argue with you to my grave, that many upon many upon many of men are saved and going, men and women and children and everything, going to heaven because of their efforts. Because God used their efforts in building his church and building his kingdom through what they were faithfully doing. And she was just being faithful. Nothing remarkable. Nothing like the story of Elizabeth Elliot where she lived with these people and her husband had just been killed. No, she was just married to a deadbeat who came, claimed to be a pastor. Just being faithful to her kids. And based upon the timeline, Methodism was founded just before she died. But there's no way she could have possibly seen the far-reaching fruits of what she poured into her two young boys, reaching thousands upon possibly millions of people with the gospel. I don't have time to tell you stories of Susanna Spurgeon who planted a church, not as the pastor. She just made the church happen because she went somewhere and there wasn't a church. She said, well, there needs to be a church. So she gathered people up and planted a church after her husband Charles had died, not during his life. Lottie Moon, we take up an offering for her every year to commemorate her efforts. Amy Carmichael, who her health kept her from being a missionary like three or four different times. She would go, get sick, couldn't come back. Finally ended up in India, saved thousands of little boys and little girls from the sex trafficking in industry because she finally went to India and they were able to take care of some of her health issues. Corey Ten Boom helped so many Jews escape that they threw her into a concentration camp. Guess what? Stayed faithful, set her hope in God, never turned away from that. Some of the greatest quotes you will ever read is from that lady right there. Joni Erickson Tata, who's still ministering to... Johnny? I always pronounce it wrong. Whatever. You know who I'm talking about. Still ministering to people to this day from a wheelchair because she's been paralyzed basically her whole life from the neck down and paints awesome with her mouth. That's crazy. But she ministers to so many people. Many more examples I could give. And there's what I want to 
reiterate to you, there is nothing, based upon these women's lives, nothing that can prevent you from carrying out your calling if you are a faithful woman of God. If God calls you to something, he will empower you to do it. Set your hope on him. See, we, we love you. We are thankful for you. We are inspired by you, ladies, more than you possibly recognize. Probably because we're not good as men at, about telling you. We need you. We appreciate you. And as one of your pastors, I implore you to know these things are not from us. They are from Christ himself. Because he constantly elevated and celebrated women. He constantly called them to be closer to him. Instead of, I'm, I'm a man, you have to stay farther away from me because you're a woman. He constantly celebrated their achievements. His ministry was different than any other. Dorothy L. Sayers once said, Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man, and there never has been such another. That's the truth for today. There's never been a man like Jesus. There never will be another man like Jesus. Therefore, he is worthy of our life. He is worthy of our breath. He is worthy of our everything until it is taken away. He is calling us all into the ministry of his kingdom all fulfilling different roles because we can't all do everything. Men, women, young, old, black, white, widowed, married, single, I could go on and on and on and on. If you are a Christian in this room, you are called into ministry. If you have set your hope on God, then live like it. Live like you have set your hope on Christ every single day. This is the application for today. I know some of you very much like the application. The application is this. It's very simple. It's very short, and I'm done. Jesus lived a perfect life that we should have lived. Jesus then died on the cross that we deserved, taking the punishment we deserved. He rose again three days later. If Jesus is worth anything based on those facts, then he is worth everything based on those facts. So let us all, application, one, be faithful now. Two, grow in our faithfulness as we age, however long God lets us live. Three, remain faithful until our dying breath. And that's it. Set your hope on God. Let Him be your hope, your, your faithfulness, your strength, your wisdom. Be faithful now. Grow in your faithfulness as you age. Remain faithful until your dying breath or until Christ Himself returns and makes our faith sight. Let us pray.